to The Straight and Marrow, a show that discusses all things allogeneic bone marrow transplant, from pre-transplant considerations to survivorship, using experiences of healthcare providers, patients and carers with current evidence to keep it straight. We are Yvonne, Ming and Alex, nurse consultants and nurse practitioners who are here to keep discussions on The Straight and Marrow. Welcome, and on today's episode, we are talking all things graft-versus-host disease with one of our doctors from the Royal Melbourne Hospital, Dr. Ray Koo. Ray is a newly-fledged dual-trained haematologist who is currently pursuing a bone marrow transplantation fellowship at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. His current interests are in reduced-intensity allogeneic stem cell transplantation and long-distance running. Welcome, Ray. Hi. Nice to meet you, Alex. <laughs> Love Thanks the long-distance running. Oh, thank you. It's one of the ways that I, um, I unwind after work. So, yeah, it's really good. Therapeutic. Mm. It's also a good analogy for chronic graft-versus-host disease, I think, because long-distance mm-hmm. running is kind of like what it feels like for, for patients and clinicians who are Absolutely. either have or are And it'll eventually, eventually you burn yourself out, but when? For me, 100 metres. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's really actually very apt because, um, you know, graft-versus-host disease is, is a spectrum just from the acute side of things to the overlap and to the chronic phase of the disease. Disease and as uh, as we'll discuss, I guess there's a lot of implications in terms of what it means to our patients from a quality of life point of view, but also what it also means to their disease mm. um, for their transplant. Yeah. What is graft versus host disease? This big, nice umbrella topic. <laughs> <laughs> so probably um, easier said than than done. But uh, the best way to actually describe graft versus host disease is uh, when the immune system of the donor. Because uh, a lot of times when we think about what a stem cell transplant is, it's not actually just the uh, donation of the donor's stem cells into the recipient, but we're also talking about donation of the donor's immune system to the recipient. Mm. Um, and the whole idea of what graft as a host disease is, is when the immune system of the donor actually recognizes the cells within the recipient as foreign and attacks it. That, that is what essentially graft as a host disease is. But the, uh, the great paradox of graft-versus-host disease is what we call the graft-versus-leukemia uh, effect or the graft-versus-tumor effect. That's when the donor's immune system recognizes the pre-leukemic or the tumor cells within the recipient as foreign and actually attacks it. And that's really the main therapeutic purpose of an allergenic stem cell transplantation. So I guess what you're saying is graft-versus-host disease, there's a silver lining. That's, that's right. That's right. It's like Nutella. A little bit. It's just okay, but too much, it's not really good. Will so, make you sick. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> when you mentioned before acute chronic overlap, there's a lot of terms there. Could you break it down for me a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's something that has um, gotten a lot of different international bodies interested in the whole definition of acute and chronic graft-versus-host disease and also what we call an overlap between acute and chronic. So typically acute graft-versus-host disease is at the time of stem cell transplantation uh, or infusion of the uh, stem cells, so about approximately day 100. That's a typical timeline of what we call um, acute graft-versus-host disease if any symptoms occur during that time period. Now, some may say 
that may extend up to day 180, depending on um, the type of symptoms, uh, depending on the, uh, the, the, the duration of immunosuppression that the patient has been on. And typically anything beyond day 180 manifests as chronic graft-associated disease. Mm. Sorry, just quickly, we're measuring day zero as stem cell day, is that right? Yes, that's yeah. right. So okay. day of stem cell infusion, that's, that's typically day zero. A lot of it as well is that it's not just a line that's drawn in the sand that, you know, beyond day 100, it's chronic graft-associated disease, but it also really depends on the uh, types of symptoms and the organs which are involved which really helps us characterize the nature of acute or chronic graft-associated disease. So um, let's use, I guess, uh, skin graft-associated disease as an example. Uh, the acute manifestation of skin graft-associated disease typically is, comes in the form of a blotchy, red, raised rash. Um, and that's quite typical of, a, of a acute skin graft-associated disease. But when we start going beyond day 180 and, and beyond the, the manifestation of chronic skin graft-associated disease typically comes in the form of either a darkening of the skin, a change in the texture of the skin where it becomes a bit more leathery, changes in, in, um, in the skin which uh, typically isn't seen uh, in the acute setting where you, you get that typical red raised rash. What have you seen, Yvonne, yeah. in terms of the skin changes in chronic graft-versus-host disease? So, um, you know, as Ray mentioned, so hyperpigmentation, so darkening of the skin, but also you can see more hypopigmentation as well. That's so right. where yeah. the skin becomes, you know, faded, I suppose, in areas in a, in a blotchy way or covering large areas. Again, the thickening of the skin or scleroderma, mm -hmm. as we call it, which if occurs around joints can restrict movement sure. as well. Yeah. Chronic manifestations or chronic presentations can also be, you know, inflammation on the skin. So sometimes we see some redness, but not in the same way that we see acute graft versus host disease with mm. that with that raised raised rash. It can be a, a blotchy inflammation or mm. it can cover one part of the body and not others. And you can see an overlay of each of those That's occurring right. simultaneously. And it's very different in different people. Mm. So it sounds like the the changes that can happen in a, acute and chronic GVHD can be quite variable and affect different people differently. Is that the same for all the different organs that could have potentially be affected? In acute graft-associated disease, the typical organs that are involved are um, any of the uh, mucus linings. So that's um, involving the, um, either the surface of the mouth or the gut. Um, skin, as we talked about pri uh, pri uh, prior to this, um, liver and eyes, very, very occasionally involving um, the lungs. Uh, but when it comes to the chronic uh, manifestation of graphosis host disease, the disease spectrum uh, often uh, changes uh, where uh, we see, uh, for example, um, a slight in uh, increase in predominance of lung graphosis host disease rather than uh, gut graphosis host disease. Um, and, and these findings often can be quite insidious. Um, so a lot of times uh, the acute graft-associated disease manifests quite prominently, quite abruptly, while the chronic graft-associated disease is like a slow burner. The symptoms come about very, very gradually and very mm. slowly that a lot of people actually don't recognise that there's, a, for example, a change in their levels of breathlessness. Like, oh my gosh, you know, just going up this you know, flight of stairs has just become really, mm. really difficult. Uh, well, it was, a, you know, it, was a, it was much easier in the past. And, and that's some of the manifestation of what chronic graft-associated disease is. It's a slow onset 
slow, slow late onset um, insidious process that, that a lot of people don't actually recognize. And a lot of what we do in terms of monitoring for chronic graphosis host disease involves the dynamic monitoring of, for example, lung function testing, the frequent uh, um, uh, skin assessments that mm. we do um, in our clinics, uh, especially with our dermatology doctors, and also monitoring for our, our blood counts um, as well, which can show certain changes. Um, and that also opens up a whole different can of worms because we also know that graphosis host disease can affect the immune system and that can also lead to other changes in uh, the blood test uh, findings that we see. And that would also change the way we actually approach, I guess, the prevention of uh, infections, for example, that can occur from chronic graphosis host disease that affects the immune system. Wow. Mm. There's mm. a lot going on. It's specialised. <laughs> That's right. It is It is quite specialised. And I think... The, the, you know, the paradigm of graphosis host disease is unique in the sense that, as I often explain to our patients, we do need a little bit of graphosis host disease because that, that's, we can't measure the graphosis leukemia effect. We don't know that um, this, the immune system of the donor is actively out there searching and looking for you know, any residual leukemia cells or pre-leukemia cells out there. What we can actually measure is graphosis host disease. We can measure mm. it on the blood tests that we perform, and the changes on the lung function tests that we do, or the symptoms that's described by the patient. And we know that there's a surrogate marker that's a um, yeah, that's a surrogate marker of the immune system actually going out there and looking for any leukemia cells or tumor cells that might eventually um, uh, come back. So yeah. does everyone get graft-versus host disease who has a transplant? Yeah, so that's a very uh, complex question to ask. I that. think that's, it's scary, right? <laughs> you, know? you sign up for a bone marrow transplant and the bogeyman is graft-versus mm. host disease mm. and we have to you know, sign consent for it. Yes, yes. So it is an area of active um, research um, as we speak right now, both locally and abroad as well, because we do know that uh, there are lots of different factors that influences either the onset or the development of graphosis host disease. That involves the donor characteristics, the recipient, um, as well the type of stem cell source that's used for the actual stem cell transplantation, the type of conditioning chemotherapy uh, or graphosis host disease prophylaxis that's used as part of the actual transplant process itself. And sometimes, despite all the measures that's undertaken, we have a good, well-matched donor graphosis host disease still does occur. And, and when it happens, we do our very best to try and manage it, to limit its effects and its damage, uh, both in the short and long term. And what we do want is, at the end of the day, reach a point where we can actually manage and reverse a lot of the adverse symptoms and adverse effects on the body because we do know that, unfortunately, there is still no one silver bullet uh, mm. to actually... Um, Know, to actually get rid of graphosis host disease completely. But I'm sure for our audience who are actually listening right now, who for those who may or may not have had graphosis host disease, there's actually a lot of new therapeutic options in the pipeline mm. right now, which holds a lot of promise. And our understanding of graphosis host disease is only increasing from from day-to-day basis. And how we actually change our practice uh, will really depend on the the knowledge that we actually uh, obtain in the coming years on how we can actually best modulate graphosis host disease. So we get the maximum benefits of the so-called graphosis tumor or graphosis leukemia effect without actually having the same adverse uh, outcomes on the all the other organs within the body. That's a, a common question that patients and families ask. 
what if I don't get graft versus host disease? Mm. Does that mean that my cancer is going to return? Mm. Yeah. Did the transplant work? Did the transplant work? Yeah. And so, you know, although people are understandably frightened of getting severe graft versus host disease, and it's our job to reassure people that the majority of people who get graft versus host disease get manageable graft versus host disease. Right. But by the same token, people really want to get some graft versus host disease. So yes. can you talk a little bit about that, you know, the yeah. you know, kind of that sub-therapeutic graft versus host <laughs> disease that still provides a, an immunological benefit but without the, you know, the, the, the symptomatic manifestations? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a very good point, Yvonne. In order to manage graft-versus-host disease, it's all about dampening down the immune system. And if we can try and dampen down the immune system at the areas where it's affecting the, uh, the recipient uh, locally without actually suppressing the entire immune system, that's ideal. So let's give graft-versus-host disease of the lungs as an example. So graft-versus-host disease of the lungs is something that can occur uh, both in the acute and chronic phase, typically more so in the chronic phase. And that can manifest in a combination of increasing breathlessness, decreased exercise tolerance, a dry cough. One of the main ways we actually diagnose this is through a combination of imaging studies and breathing tests. Now, if, the, if we pick this up early, we can actually try and reverse some of the um, localized inflammation that's caused by the overactive immune system by a combination of puffers, which has an inhaled steroid, inhaled bronchodilator. So that's a medication that relaxes some of the soft tissue, soft mus uh, soft tissue and soft muscles that's within the airways. Mm. Um, an anti-inflammatory antibiotic um, and also other medications which reduces the levels of inflammation that occurs just within the lung. So as you can see, the immune system of the uh, with, with, of the within the patient is still active, but the areas where it's causing the most mischief, which is within the lungs, is being managed as much as we can, and that's often our first step. Now, if even with those local measures, if the symptoms progress or involve other organs, then yes, we have to resort to using more heavy-handed suppression of the immune system, typically with steroids, um, but we try not to use, a, I guess, a, a shotgun method, and we try and just try and manage things at the areas where the inflammation is worse, um, unless obviously it's severe enough to warrant uh, a more uh, aggressive approach. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like to think of that as kind of like a triple therapy approach mm -hmm. and we'll add another um, dimension to what you've just described. Yeah. So, you know, approaching the presentation of graft versus host disease with as little treatment as possible in order to control the symptoms and prevent progression. Yep. So, you know, locally, topically, it might be eye drops or cream or that's puffers. Right, that's right. Yep. Then add, you know, something that's more systemic like mm -hmm. steroids or another immunosuppressive agent. But the third prong is also the supportive care around oh, that. Yeah. So, you know, if someone has lung graft versus host disease, yep. ensuring that they're enrolled in some sort of a respiratory mm. rehabilitation program, so doing exercise to maintain their functional capacity. And the same applies for people with skin graft versus host disease, actually with any graft versus host mm. disease, particularly when you're adding steroids, which as you know and might like to talk about, yes. um, you know, can can result in um, in, in muscle wastage yeah. and, and, and reduced functionality mm. just by virtue of the, the mm. side effects of the treatment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when we can't just do the topicals and the puffers, yep. where to next? Um, up next, if localised measures aren't uh, effective, we often use 
um, a combination of um, high-dose steroids, typically in the form of either prednisolone, which is an oral tablet that can be taken, uh, or if the graft disease is severe enough, an intravenous version um, of the same agent called methylprednisolone can be given. Now, we often try not to use high-dose steroids unless absolutely required, but uh, we do know that if it's the, the best shot at, at managing graphosis host disease is when we get in quick and get in fast, like, you know, this whole, you know, what's that term that's used for our lockdowns, right? A sharp, a sharp and short. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> short, sharp. Short, yeah. short sharp, short, sharp, yeah. quick, yeah. Yeah. circuit breaker. Circuit breaker, circuit yeah, that's breaker. right. That's it, yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, so we've got to get in there really, you know, um, all guns blazing to try and snuff it out as soon as possible because... Um, as we will um, perhaps maybe even soon discuss, there are different forms of ways we can classify grass versus host disease depending on the ability of it to respond to steroids, for example. So there, there's this entity called steroid refractory uh, graft versus host disease or steroid-resistant graft versus host disease, whereby uh, a typical cause of high-dose steroids administered over seven days fails to reverse some of the damage that, that it occurs and uh, and that often pertains to to predict a, a, a less favorable long-term outcome as compared to a graphosis host disease, which is more likely to respond to steroid agents. Yeah, and and typically, as as Yvonne rightly mentioned, there's um, there are undesirable side effects with hydrosteroids. Uh, uh, Where to begin? In, oh gosh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly, and exactly, Alex. It's just you know, there's quite a lot of um, side effects to describe, and I guess from you know, we can talk about what it does physically, but what it can also um, how it affects the the body uh, emotionally and physiologically as mm. well. It's so important. Mm. You know, and and um, I think that's the thing that we often some of the things that we don't actually we can actually quantify the weight gain, we can quantify the changes in cholesterol, we can quantify the changes to the bone, but we, we often are very poor in quantifying the, the, the effects of steroids on someone's uh, mood. You know, it mm. can cause low mood or high, you know, some people might get actually quite elated. I personally knew of someone who um, developed steroid-induced mania and actually bought a, 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 a racing horse in a restaurant <laughs> because he, that individual was really you know, in in, mm. in the clouds when he was on yeah. steroids. Mania and moodiness. Yes, yes <laughs> mania and moodiness. Uh, so those are the other things and that we, we don't often quite, uh, not very good at quantifying. Um, but metabolic side effects, um, increased risk of infections, increased risk of fractures um, because of frailty to the bones. Those are some of the undesirable side effects of steroids. And because of that, we tend to add on what we call a steroid sparing agent, a, a second drug um, to remove the effects of the need or remove the need to be on high-dose steroids but have the same immunosuppressive effects as steroids. And that often comes in the form of either cyclosporin or mycophenolate. And more, more recently, uh, the utility of other drugs which affects the immune system in different ways that doesn't have the same immunosuppressive effects as mycophenolate, cyclosporin, and high-dose mm. steroids, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to talk about two points about steroids. One that I get a lot of questions about mm. is it, that these aren't the steroids like they are on the television, making you no. really muscly no. like um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> these aren't those steroids. <laughs> no, no, no. Arnie. Yes. Yeah, because these steroids actually cause muscle wasting away. Yes, yes. Yeah, and yes. people can get really quite weak and... 
and um, have difficulty standing up from a chair. Mm, mm, that's right. That's right. So, so, so the 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 kind of steroids that uh, bodybuilders use um, are what we call anabolic steroids. Mm. Um, whilst the the kind of steroids that we're using over here is is a very different type of steroids. Um, and the purpose of, of why the steroids are administered is completely different as well. So yeah. um, it, it affects the metabolism in a different way. It affects the uh, immune system in a different way that anabolic steroids mm. do not. And uh, as you rightly mentioned, Alex, um, you know, it does affect the metabolism in different ways. It can cause muscle wasting, ravenous appetite, you know, poor sleep, mm. lots of different ways. And it, as undesirable as it is, it is the only... Uh, effective treatment that we have right now, um, and my hopes is that in 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 my lifetime, uh, the, the way we can approach graft-associated disease is a, a you know prevention is always better than cure. We can identify ways that we can prevent graft-associated disease or limit graft-associated disease from occurring in the first instance. Like it's always easier to prevent the bushfire than actually to try mm. and take it out when it's you know when it's raging yeah. through the bush. So we can actually identify ways that we can prevent the graft-associated disease from being so severe in the first instance, or we can identify biomarkers of graft-associated disease which will predict bad graft-associated disease so that we can actually be take a more a precautious approach rather than actually trying to deal with it um, you know, when it's actually causing havoc to the, um, to the recipient's body. And I think what we're doing over here is like part of that solution is we're actually talking about it because I think graft-associated disease and the vigilance to, to identify symptoms or signs of graphosis host disease really needs to be something that we, we need to keep an eye on because I can imagine for uh, a, a stem cell transplant recipient, um, after going through you know, the, the three weeks or four weeks of being in hospital, mm. after being on immunosuppressants for so long, it's easy to be overwhelmed and, and it's completely understandable as well but, uh, to be overwrought by the whole process. And a lot of the times, I think a lot of people worry about, oh, you know, is the disease coming back? Mm. And that takes a lot of focus on family members, on on the patient themselves. Mm. Um, and I feel a lot of the emphasis will also need to, to equally, um, if not as as important, needs to go into graft-associated disease as well. Because, yes, recurrence of disease after a stem cell transplant is, is catastrophic. It can be catastrophic, but the development of bad graft-associated disease is equally as catastrophic as well, if not more so. Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, that self-surveillance of patients is really important, mm. but it's it can be more difficult for patients who haven't had acute graft-versus-host disease. Yes. And so yeah. they are then, you know, a number of months post-transplant, haven't experienced symptoms of graft-versus-host disease. Yeah. And are, they're done with hospitals. They're done with hospitals, <laughs> understandably, done with us, fair enough. We're done with ourselves sometimes too. Um, but, you know, they're, they're trying to get back to normal life and yeah. um, sometimes at that stage it can be hard to, you know, differentiate between mm. those subtle mm. new symptoms that can yeah. develop um, because of chronic graft-versus-host disease and just thinking, oh, well, maybe I'm a bit short of breath because I've you know, been unwell and I'm recovering. Yeah. Uh, maybe I've got a dry cough because I've been looking after the grandkids, you know, <laughs> yes. those sorts of things. Yes. Um, there is no boy who cries wolf in graft versus host disease. No. Just always raise the alarm. What is this? What is does this little mark on yeah. my skin? Is that relevant? Is it yeah. important? I think it's really important to yeah, agree. Um, report, always report, raise report, the alarm. Report, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
And you know, as both of you have rightly mentioned as well, once someone has gone through the whole stem cell process, we do want life to go to go back to as normal as possible. Um, and and it, we we don't want obviously everyone to be lo- losing sleep over oh you know is this cough from having Graves-Souza mm. disease. But I think just having an awareness that it exists out there and trying to integrate that with a lot of the measures that we have in place as a stem cell transplant um, center, for example, here at Royal Melbourne Hospital, where we have our long-term follow-up clinics. You know, we have our Graves-Souza disease CNC, mm. um, you know, who who access um, both an interface between um, the, the the patient and the family members with the healthcare system and acts as a source of resources as well, um, I think that's where we, what we need to tap into. And I think that's, that's the, uh, the therapeutic relationship that goes far beyond just what the journey of a patient mm. um, uh, going through a stem cell transplant process involves. Did you have any little takeaway points for patients? I want one from both Ray and Yvonne. And so I can start with mine. My takeaway point would be just like tiny little things that I think people don't know about enough would be avoid the sun. That sunburn can trigger graft-versus-host disease. Mm. Slip, slop, slap, seek, slide, which is the new (laughs) slip, slop, slap. Oh, slide. Slide slide on on the sunscreen, seek shade. Oh, it's not, I thought it was slide on your sunglasses. No, oh, sorry, no, sorry. No, is slide it? On your slide on your Okay, okay. Yeah. There you go. Is, that would be my takeaway point is avoid the sun. My takeaway point probably would be that with Graffes' host disease, it is um, it, it comes in different shapes, in different forms. I think the awareness of any changes or any development of any symptoms should um, always trigger the question of this graphic hostesy, certainly, and that's, that comes into my mind as well. So I think don't second doubt yourself. If there's any change in symptoms or if anyone notices any differences as well, get in touch with us. Mm. You, know, we're, you know, we're more than happy to receive an email from you with a photo saying, oh, what's this rash looking like? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ask lots yes. of questions. Yeah. Love yeah. a photo of a rash. Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, we're, we're in what we're doing, what we're doing, not because of the money and we're not because of the glamour. There's none in it, as you can see. <laughs> but we're, we're just really, 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 really interested into wanting really good long-term outcomes. And we know that graft-versus-host disease are one of those barriers. And until we have measures that we can actually stop graft-versus-host disease from becoming such, um, you know, the, the being of being the boogeyman, as you say, Alex, mm. uh, we just have to be more vigilant about it. So... Yeah, yeah, that's why we're here. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, so Take I, us out I would, with a bang of yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't think you'll be surprised with what I've got to say, but I completely concur with what, what you've both said. I would encourage people to be active participants in their long-term health and in the management of graft-versus-host disease if mm. they manage graft-versus-host disease. So ask the question, what can I do mm. to participate in getting better? Yeah. You know, what can I do in terms of my diet? What can I do in terms of physical activity? Mm. What can I do in terms of my mental health and my mm. spiritual health and my relationships mm. in order to, you know, assist in getting through this? Yeah. Um, so I think that that would be the message that I would like to send to, to people listening today. Yeah, Thank very you. apt, very apt, Yvonne. Thank you both so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. No worries. Thank you. Thanks for listening and hope you've enjoyed the show as much as we have. If you have any queries for the Straight and Marrow team or suggestions for future shows, 
please email us at straightandandmarrow at gmail.com. Although our team are experienced healthcare providers, we are unable to give individual medical advice. If you have a medical query, please speak to your treating team. See you next time at the Straight and Marrow and don't forget to subscribe to receive podcast updates.